In this episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dean Carter, who is the Chief People and Purpose Officer over at Guild. And prior to joining Guild, Dean was the Head of Global People and Culture and Shared Services at Patagonia. Now, Dean has over 15 years of experience in leading global people and culture functions and is incredibly passionate about creating and sustaining purpose-driven organizations that empower their employees to grow, thrive, and make a positive impact. In his current role, he oversees the strategic direction and execution of all aspects of human resources, diversity and inclusion, and social responsibility, where he's helping transform the future of learning and work. In this episode, we talk about the power of authenticity and what it truly means to show up as an authentic leader. So I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. What does it truly mean to be a leader? Welcome to The Executive, a podcast that highlights the career journeys, struggles, successes, and day-to-day experiences of leaders. I'm your host, Dr. Benjamin Ritter, bringing over 10 years of experience as a leadership and career coach, L&D consultant, and healthcare executive. My mission is to guide leaders towards creating a career they can love. Thank you for listening. Now let's hear from the executive. So Dean, you have had such an incredible professional career and we're going to get to the most incredible bits. But one of the things that really drew me was the fact that you list drive through cashier, fry cook, cheerleading camp counselor on your LinkedIn profile. And I, I actually do that too. I don't do it separately, but I have a big post that talks about the fact that my first job was flipping burgers. I was a sports counselor. I handed out granola bars on street corners. I dressed up as movie characters and ran around the city of Chicago scaring people. And I, like, What is it about those past experiences that made you want to feature them? Hmm. You know, there's a few things. One, so it was a conversation we had the leadership team um, talking about first jobs. And then we all started talking about how those shaped our lives and things that we do now. And then we started talking about why don't people put that on their LinkedIn profiles? Like, why isn't that something that you put in there? You always kind of, it's like uh, Adam Grant just said, I didn't, a lot of the people see that where we are at our peak, they don't understand the place that we started from. So when they're comparing themselves to your career, they just see you, Jumping in is like suddenly you're in a sales role as Patagonia for Procter and Gamble, and before that, like you mentioned, I was fry cook at Long John Silver's, and I scrubbed boats. I didn't put that on there, but the, I learned a lot of things in those jobs that are important. And I think that one of the reasons is one to identify where you picked up some some real critical skills in life that endure, like team building, customer service, appreciation for people in service roles. But the most important thing and why I would recommend people, and I've had this conversation with people online on LinkedIn, is that by me posting like what I learned as a camp counselor or a fry cook at Long John Silver's, somewhere out there, there's a fry cook at Long John Silver's or a fried chicken place or a cashier who doesn't understand the skills they're building for the future and can't articulate it. I mean, they think I count change or I serve, I serve food. And you do so much more than that. And so by me posting that, they're like, oh, okay, yeah, those are skills I learned and how they can articulate this. So one is just being a model for it. And the other one, people seeing your path, not just like I suddenly appeared on stage as you know a salesperson or P&G. There are a lot of things that in my life led to that ability to get that job with Dr. Gamble ultimately and kind of move my career forward. 
You appeared on a lot of stages. First, before it, started, it looks like you chose the stage that you wanted to hang out on for a little bit more and feature in a bunch of movies. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's true. What led you initially into the field of HR, or as the world, I think, in some places is calling it people? Yeah. Well, I, I do a real specific story about that. I um, Years ago, I was working for a company called Pearl Vision. You may know it uh, as an eyeglass company. And I started as um, an assistant store manager in, in San Diego, and I kind of moved up through the training department. And ultimately um, moved into back to Dallas from San Diego, and we became a rising leader in training and ultimately was a head of training for the franchise division. Well, in Texas at the time, the sodomy laws were still in place. And, um, you know, you could absolutely be fired for being gay. And uh, so I um, wasn't necessarily out, but I wasn't necessarily in. And so um, someone started telling everyone, Dean's gay. He's a sodomist. And at that time, you really could be put in jail. People were put in jail all the time for um, if they found out that you were gay. So this was... Um, a, a, not unusual occurrence and definitely could be fired. So I um, heard about this and I was like, what do I do? And um, so I went to the head of HR's office, Roy Wilson. And I said, Roy, um, I need, you probably heard that um, from around the office that I'm gay. And that's true. And that is the truth. And uh, I can't change it. And so if that's not okay, I'm going to need to work somewhere else and try to find a place that's okay with that. And he said, Dean, my God, I'm so sorry. You're, you're totally okay here. You're doing great. I'm sorry that happened. And I just want to let you know, everything's okay. And so that was the day I decided I'm going to be a head of HR and I'm going to do that for someone else. That was the moment. I'm like, okay, that's a job I want. Those pivotal moments in your life that just say, okay, this, this is, this is impactful for me. It sounds like there was, there was a purpose there. And I just need to call this out for the audience. That was, that was like 20 some odd years ago that that, that, that was still happening. And I, and there are places in the world now that that's still happening and, and that's not okay. Yeah. Yeah. Not it's, it's incredible. Yeah, it's it's incredible that we have individuals in the HR function, the people function that can change the game for organizations to create safer places for people to work in. And honestly, any executive has that power. Any any employee has that power to create a safer place for individuals to work in. So thank you for sharing still, that. Still today, um, uh, people at Guild or Patagonia, when they find out that I'm open and queer, gay, whatever, and I... Uh, and they're like, it's so great to see someone else. I didn't think that was possible for me. I'm actually knowing that you're in that job makes me think someday that I can do that too. And I didn't have that social um, understanding in the past and it's helpful. So I don't necessarily like wear like an I'm gay shirt, um, but I do make sure that I'm present nor I'm involved in communities or I'm on the executive sponsor for the LGBTQ group at Guild, and so I, um, I'm be I'm quite visible about it for that reason. Speak to me a little bit about how transparency and authenticity does matter in the workplace, because some people might say, "Ah, oh, it's work. Why does that matter? Why does it matter that you show up as who you are? What what difference does that make?" Um, well, I can tell you, I get a lot of um, 
feedback from people about talking about at times when I'm authentic and transparent, how they really um, have a lot more respect for leaders who are authentic and transparent. I think that showing up as a human being because you work around human beings, I think sometimes they see this like mask or this facade that a lot of leaders put on because we think that's what we're told to do or that's what we learned in some school and I've got to wear this type of suit or shoes or coat or whatever and or present in a certain way. I think when people see you being authentic, vulnerable, transparent, a human being that just like everyone else, then they kind of probably see you in they see them in you a little bit and go, wow, I don't have to, I don't have to make a lot of change in me to be something that I, you know, want to go grow into ultimately. So yeah, I think the people, it's really important for us to appear as human beings and transparent and vulnerable. And uh, I think my, the feedback that I get from people is like, that's one of the things they appreciate about me in, in leadership is I'm a, and what you see is what you get. <laughs> You've worked in a lot of purpose-driven companies. I imagine they've inspired authenticity, or maybe maybe I'm over-assuming, but I, I just I don't think it's reached to say that you're under your leadership, you promote that. Uh, what are some ways that an organization, executives, leaders of teams can create a safe space for authenticity for people to show up as they are? Wow, that is a great question. Um, I think we probably have, um, in the past, you would have had moments kind of walking around the office and being there and showing up human. I think the, you would show up in, by eating lunch in the cafeteria and having conversations. And just the most human you can be is when you're sitting next to someone eating lunch and breaking bread. Um, so I just go to Patagonia. I always ate lunch in the cafeteria or I ate lunch um, somewhere around a person that I had never met before. So I tried to create um, a connection and I'm guessing that they to sometimes were as intimidated as I was around sitting there. I actually called at one space in Patagonia, which was like a rock bench with grass in front of it, the grassy knoll of intimidation. Cause I was like, Oh my God, all these badass surfers and people are changing the world and saving whales and climbing mountains. And, uh, you know, I rode my bike to work. And so I, uh, I, uh, I got over it. It took me some time even just to be comfortable being me and sitting down and, and I would talk to someone and they were just as, you know, intimidated, like, Oh gosh, it's great to get to know you. And I think that's important to have these human connections. Now in the world that we're in now, we're often in this situation in terms of just on zoom or different places. And I think you have to show up even more articulate, more human and more transparent and more humble and more vulnerable in these spaces than you did. Um, it's easier to do it in person, I think, sometimes than it is to do on screen. And I I think that uh, we have to show up vulnerable, human, or just whatever your authentic human is, you know, especially, especially on Zoom. Yeah, so I've worked in the talent function for a little bit now. You have a couple more years of experience and executive experiences on me. It is, it, I, I hear this a lot from people in this function, it's, it can be difficult to, to create a space of safety and trust and authenticity when you also have to hold the line and create boundaries and expectations and basically be the one that controls you know, how people are treated in terms of performance and behaviors. And how have you dealt with that in, in your work history? 
that balance? That is such a good question. I um one of the one of the greatest things about this role are all the great things you get to do. You help to coach people, you can help them in the career. You help them see them through life moments. These are the people that you saw when they first joined the company and maybe they get married and they have children. There's all this and you support them and you do things that support them through the life. And the moment you give them a big promotion, these are all the good things. And this is why I love this work so much is those moments in life and how you support and coach and help people move forward. I also have the, the, the part that is not great when you're sitting in front of someone through no fault of their own and you're telling them that they no longer have a job or working with someone who's not performing and for some reason they're still not getting it no matter how much you have a conversation with them and you still have to tell them i'm sorry it's not working out and you're going to have to find something else the day that that gets easy i need to quit it never it never like feel like this balance or i get comfortable with it it's um it's the it's the in order to do the things that are um that i need to do and i get to do the fun part I still have to be a human being and I've, and I've got to, there are conversations that I'm, I, uh, I'm running a business that you have to have. And I'm the one who ends up being, having a lot of those conversations. I, it's not my favorite part of the job, but there is a, I think in those times I have to be the most human. Those are my, like more human than ever is um, not be that today. I need to let you know that you're, <laughs> you're just, feel like the most part is making space for people in those conversations and show up as human as possible and and know that you know the conversation you have is way more difficult than the one you're having um so any of this i don't know like i don't know there's a balance on this but it is part of the job and if you don't know that you're going to have to do some ugly things and i want to mean by ugly is like letting someone know that they don't want to have their job is a is a and they know they've got a family or different things. That's never, it never feels good, and you don't sleep at night, and that just is part of it. And the day you do sleep at night, and that becomes okay, and you find some weird balance with that, then it's time to go and do something else. One of the number one things that emerging leaders and even executive leaders that maybe haven't had to do it that much deal with is just this. Like they try, tend to put off the constructive negative feedback, the hard conversations yeah. due to not wanting, doing to avoid not wanting to change the perception of people on them, you know, making sure that they're liked all the time. It's just a couple words of advice for those executive leaders or those emerging leaders would be really wonderful because it sounds like you have, you have experience with this, you know that it's ugly. And I love that you said that it is going to be ugly and it is going to be tough. But can you add just a little bit more? Yeah, I can. Here's here's how I like to approach tough conversations. So um, I'm about to share something with you. Um, and you can tell me to jump in the lake. Like you can completely reject about what I'm about to tell you. It may be, It's going to either make you feel uncomfortable. It may come as a surprise. I hope it's not a surprise. But here's why I'm telling you this. I'm telling you this because I'm, I, ha I, I value you. I'm telling you this because... I want you to hear it. And if I don't tell you it, you won't be able to get better. I'm telling you this because if I were you, I would want me telling you this too. So it's going to be uncomfortable. And again, you have the choice to do whatever the heck you want with it. And I'll tell you about what that means. 
but I'm going to tell you this today. Here's something, a behavior that you're doing, and here's the impact of that behavior on other people on the team. And when you do this, this is how it impacts others. If that's your intent to be intimidating or uncooperative or whatever the word I'm going to use, if that's your intent, then it's working. If you have another intent, and well, do you want to be cooperative? You want don't want to be intimidating. If you don't want to be the things, I have some ideas for you on how to be better. You tell me the path you want to take. And if this isn't how you want to show up, then let me know. If this is how you want to show up, you're crushing it. And so I'm, I'm telling this so you have a third eye that you may not see, but I hope that's helpful. That's why I find the approach. One is to disarm and say, you can, I'm telling you something you don't have to listen to. I'm telling you something of a choice to take action. I'm telling you something that uh, involves like how you are impacting someone else or where you're not doing something that impacts the business. Those, and I try to be crystal clear about those two issues and then present a choice to the person. You've got a choice to make change, not change, and here are the tools and resources I'm going to give you to help make that happen. It's almost like a choose your own adventure story with information. <laughs> like yeah, I just you can choose and I, to take this or not, but this is this is the direction. I do say that, like I, um, I like to disarm in that moment because, uh, like, because people are even usually they know it's coming, so it's not a surprise. But then I just say, you can choose to take this as as something, or you can actually just tell me to, you know, go walk out the door. I'm 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 open for both of those things. I really appreciate you walking us through that. I think it's absolutely critical. Let me jump back on that. You when you're on the other side, like someone treats you in a way that you feel like, like this is happening to you personally. So this isn't like a third person saying you're doing this to someone else. I've, I've approached that too. Like if uh, with a boss and saying, because this is the tough part. These are really tough when you're talking to your boss and giving your boss a country. If you wanted to intimidate me and make me feel small, you're succeeding. So I just want to let you know that particular thing was intimidating and made me feel like a small human. And if that's what you want from me in this role to be small and scared of you, then you're, you're really succeeding. If you want a different person who isn't afraid of you and wants me to stand up and be able to, to push back when I need to push back, then I need a different behavior. So you can choose what you want from me and I can choose too, but I need to let you know about this behavior and how it impacts me. And I don't know if that's your intent or if not, but either way, that's my impact. And I've had found that that phraseology makes it easier to address someone you report to in a safer way, because that's the most difficult part is talking to a boss who controls your job, controls your pay to talk to them about a difficult conversation. And I found that's really, really helpful context. I don't know if you know this, but here's how your behavior is impacting me. And was that your intent? Yeah, I absolutely love that. When in your career have you had to manage up, it sounds like, and provide some of that feedback to someone that was your boss? Um, if you can share. I do that. No, that's okay. Yeah, it, well, I can very speak a very specific example. And I, um, um, so what someone's reporting to, very senior. I'll be as vague as possible and specific as possible. So they could be listening. I um, And uh, I had made a decision that this person didn't like early on in my career. Not I hadn't been in the job very long at all. It also had a high degree of imposter syndrome. 
So this very, very senior leader comes in, comes to my desk and wipes everything off my desk. And everyone in the cubes is like leaning over and uh, proceeds to like yell and scream. And it's a very violent moment. And, uh, and I am leaning back and I am just trying not to feel like it is waving his arms and yelling at me and, um, and then left and threw a few more things on the ground. And uh, all my team came in and said, oh, my God, what what was that? What happened? And I had to go up the next day. And that's exact conversation I had was what I just shared with you. It was a moment I just said, I need to let you know that that was terrifying to me. And uh, I think you picked me in this job because you want me to be a big and strong and confident person. But if you continue to do that, I will be so small, intimidated, <laughs> and I won't be able to do the job I think you want me to do. Um, that person never did that again and only supported me and was a big fan going forward. And I ended up working for them for another eight years. If you didn't have that conversation, I can't even imagine what the rest of your time with that person would have been like. <laughs> well, can you imagine it for someone else? Maybe they did this that came from another desk and just did that. So I think when those things happen, creating the safest place that you can for, to do that, and I think is important to because it's not just about you sometimes it's about maybe how they're treating somewhere else. And I was in a position that were probably people lower than me in, in kind of reporting relationship that if I didn't do that, they would think it was okay. Is that like, Oh my gosh, if Dean didn't say anything, then that makes it okay to do to me too. So. Yeah. Some words that came to me during the beginning of our conversation was that you're a role model and you're always being watched and not just the leader, but the person that's engaging with that leader. It's true. Every second, every second. So I feel like you are an unbelievable, thoughtful, thoughtful, introspective and reflective individual. And I'm just so curious. Why do you, why do you work? What is, what drives you? Hmm. Um, Well, let me, I'll talk about why I do this work. And I, um, I have a belief I'm a fundamental life belief that leave things better than you find them, whatever that is. So if I get the opportunity to leave the human beings that I work for, the human beings, the companies that I work with, or the company or the function, if I leave it better than I found it, then I'm, that's what I'm doing. And that is why I come to work every single day. I love this profession and what it stands for. I see massive, from the day I joined, I see massive opportunities for it to have a bigger impact and a more positive impact on human beings. So I've been from day one, I'm like, this thing needs some disruption and change. And I've always been kind of a disruptor and change, not just for disruption and change sake, but just to do, to be like a rebel in this situation. But I just see such an opportunity to make a huge difference. And uh, so I just have every single role, I learn a little bit more and I lean in, learn a little more, lean in, and I take something from it. Here's an example why, what I love about work. And I didn't realize it at the time before I worked for Patagonia, I'd worked, been, I had uh, two head of HR roles, one for Patagonia and one for Sears. So I'm going to go to Patagonia, very different situation. And what I learned at Patagonia was what purpose really is. And here, here's a concept. So Patagonia started talking about moving from built, making clothes to food. 
to um, doing more re doing regenerative agriculture and regenerative agriculture is a process where you have more healthy soil and put more into soil than you take out and as a result the plant is healthier you don't just stop climate change and reversing it so that's the fundamental part i was listening to that concept about how to treat the planet put more into it than you take out i was like what if what if as a result of working with the company we put more people into their lives than we took out and I'm like, holy smoke, the tool I've been given is the freaking engagement survey, which is how much discretionary effort are you willing to give? Not just how much you're going to give, like how much more of your life. And I'm going to measure that and do manipulative things to get more discretionary effort out of you. And then the annual performance review is like, how much did you perform? And then it's like a farmer raising corn and takes the corn and then slices into the end of it because everyone knows what that feels like at the end of the year to have the annual performance review, like how much corn did you produce? So I began to think really differently about um, the agreement that we have at work and think about all the practices that I'm doing that are putting things into people's lives versus measuring the things I'm taking out. So that that's just an example of why I do this work. I have discoveries that how I was doing are so wrong before, and then I see something that is so right, and then I get to take that principle and apply regenerative HR practices to um, to Guild, and then I share that with other people like um, David Rock, who is a thought leader and wrote Your Brain at Work. David has a whole practice on regenerative HR now, like a whole practice. Now, it's just not me being an evangelist. It's David Rock. And now there are books on regenerative HR. There's a first person talking about that. And I, I feel like I started a movement. And uh, and people are now talking about how do you put more into people's lives and you take out. I think, um, anyway, that's why I do this. I want to, I love this profession. I think it needs still needs change. And I like to be, and if I can change more heads of HR to put more people and things in people's lives and they take out, then there are more humans on the planet having a better experience work, better relationship with their spouses, better relationships with their kids, more time to be outside, more time to eat healthy food, all those things. If I can do that, then I can someday not do this job anymore and feel great about leaving this whole thing better than I found it. I remember reading a book that talked about how CEOs and CFOs tend to kind of always been this magic pair. And it was like, what about the CPO as well, or the CHRO at the time? And now you have this just like trinity that is unstoppable, but people are the foundation of an organization. And yep. as, as you're sharing this, I'm, I'm thinking in my mind, you have these traditionalists that might go, but that's not my job, Dean. I'm HR. I am not responsible for investing in people for purpose. It's I'm I'm here to keep things in line in order. Uh, well, how would you respond to that? I think that is what we were told. I think you did that person's doing exactly what we've been told for years is like we were the administrative and compliance department. And I feel like um, once you realize um, here's here's something I spoke at an event just before Michelle Obama, which was very intimidating. And uh I stayed and listened to her and she said this, um, if you have a seat at the table, you damn well better use it for good or get the hell out. And that's my view of the head of HR. I think we were in a place probably after COVID and all of the social and political unrest and all the things that happened in a few years. I think 
is that you'll hear 88% of CHROs now today believe they have more influence in the company than they've ever had in history as a result of that really challenging and um, as most heads of HR would say, was one of the most difficult things in our lives. And some of them just didn't make it through it. And I, uh, anyhow, after we get through that, realize that we have uh, we have not just a seat at the table, but a piece of the table And as a profession now. And there's an expectation from the CFO and the CEO about how we're going to lead people through these moments. So yeah, I think now there is a... Um, uh, um, What's what I'm looking for? We have a purpose or we have a um, a calling um, almost to, to have a better experience for human beings. And by the way, that's what most people want. When I speak at, I'm a guest lecturer at universities and I talk to MBA students. The number one question they ask me is like, how can I work for a purpose-driven company? Number one company. And I tell them, look for B Corps. Look for that first and look for companies that walk the talk. A lot of companies talk purpose, but they don't walk it. So look kind of how they actually live their lives. But yeah, I think this is our role now. And I think that it's, it's inseparable in terms of this concept between people and purpose. And we have um, a responsibility. We have a responsibility in this role to do good. For the people that raise their hand, by the way, I got chills. So thank you for that. <laughs> for for the people that have uh, responsibility, uh, let me rephrase that. For, for people that raise their hand and ask for, how do I work for a company with purpose? What do you tell those people that say, like, I'm at a company now and I, it's terrible. There's no purpose here. It doesn't exist. Is that, are there organizations where purpose doesn't exist? Or maybe is it a perception issue? Like, what what's happening? My next story is, like, at some point, because of life, I had to leave this job at Fossil after 10 years ahead of HR that I loved that I was going to spend the rest of my life with. But for family reasons, I had needed to live in Chicago. And so I took the next available job, which, by the way, was a demotion to a head of talent, not a head of HR, working for Sears and Kmart, which everyone knew was the Titanic. Like It was, it was at the time that the brand was just crashing. But it was a job that was available to me, and that's how I could feed you know me and my family and do what I need to do. So I took the job. Sears and Kmart and uh, massive amount of turnover, 42 presidents that turned over every single year. And it was known for a toxic culture. Um, I just, that is, that was not a purpose-driven company at all, but I thought about, okay, what do I do? I'm, I'm going to be in this job for five years. That's the number of years I know I have to be in Chicago. What can I learn in this moment? So this is what are the how do I take this horrible disadvantage into an advantage? The company is huge, 270,000 employees. So I'm like, wow, these are 270,000 pieces of data. How can I leverage that and become the best data shop for HR, the best analytics team on the planet? How can we do that and also become the and I told the team, by the way, we are on the Titanic. And we're going to be the band. And we're going to play the best damn music. And here's my commitment. You're going to get an amazing lifeboat at the end of this. That's better than the one you got in. You're going to play the best trombone. You're going to play the best drums. And you're going to play the best guitar. And we're going to, I, you're going to learn to do this in the best way possible. And when this thing goes down, you're all getting beautiful lifeboats. And uh, I all said no one left. Like the team stayed. 
and we played beautiful music on the Titanic. And uh, when the thing went down, um, there are so many heads of HR from that moment who left Sears and now are leading um, companies, heads of HR, heads of talent, heads of compensation, all of our Sears and all the company who, because we did it amazingly well at that time. There's a person at that time who kind of leaned in, who's now the head of digital at Disney. Like these are, we people left that with really amazing jobs in a challenging situation. This wasn't a purpose-driven situation. So sometimes you just have to lean in and go, okay, I'm in this situation, what am I learning? And if you go into it like with eyes open, like what am I learning in this moment? I learned more in those five years than I did probably in the prior 10 years with Patagonia. I mean, with Fossil. It was a huge learning moment for me. And it set off so many things that I could do better for Patagonia when I joined and even for Guild that I'm here today. I still use lessons and relationships and things that I built in my time at Sears than that. So every opportunity is opportunity to learn. Even if it's about purpose driven, sometimes it's not available and you got to do what you got to do. It sounds like you are an incredibly intentional and make the most of purpose driven individual. I, we talked a lot about authenticity and it sounds like that's part of your authentic self, but just to wrap up, yeah. you're now at Guild as the chief people and purpose officer. How are you showing up authentically? Like when people talk about Dean, what are they saying? I had an unusual moment to show up authentically at Guild within my my first two weeks. And uh, um, I went into it as a chief people officer. And then I went to the CEO and said, I think this is so aligned with my purpose and the job, my life purpose. Can I just be the chief people and purpose officer and just drive that? And she's like, heck yes. So she didn't even... Blink. So I changed my title to Chief People and Purpose Officer. And then two weeks into it, um, the Marriage Equality Act is passed while I'm in a strategy meeting with my new leadership team. So I'm, I've known them for four hours. And so it's a very emotional moment for me. Like, finally, finally, like, the law protects the marriage to my husband of 25 years. Finally, after the, all the work that we've done for 25 years, just the right to be married. <laughs> and so it was an emotional moment for me. I'm getting emotional thinking about it. Like all the, I think about 25 years of, of my life that I worked for that moment. And so I was talking to the team and about kind of this moment. And then my chief of staff says, talk. And she turns on the screen and videos me for a video for the company. And she goes, talk about what's happening right now. I was like, I need to find the LGBTQ ERG right now. And she said, no, I want you to talk. And so I just shared my story and why it was important to me. And um, I was like puffy eyed and, um, and it just told, was genuine about how I felt in the moment and shared that. For some reason that came off very authentic. <laughs> <laughs> and um, there, I got a lot of feedback, which is like we have never seen an employee, uh, a leader that is as raw and as um, human and vulnerable in that moment. And so um, we appreciate it. We want to see more human and more vulnerable um, in 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 leaders because we have we have vulnerable and 
um, moments like that all the time. And so to see a leader be that, although it was not in my intent, by the way, <laughs> I stumbled into that and uh, because I didn't know any other way to present in the moment, but I, um, that's just an example. Now, and so what I do, I work really hard to show up transparent and humble and um, things that are working and things that are not, and hopefully be an example of that. My my goal, I mean, the, this is the first time. So Guild's work is to help people lift in their career, period. And typically, hourly workers who feel like they don't have a chance. And so um, my belief is there is a lot of people in America who just feel like they're locked out. And so finally... Like I've sold papas on chairs and washing machines and sustainably made jackets. And now I'm selling like opportunity in life. So that I get to walk up the stairs two steps at a time every day. And I'm around a bunch of other people who are doing the same. Man, that's like, this is, I thought Patagonia was my ultimate job. How do you get better than that? And I found, I found it. Thank you for being an example for other leaders and other people in the work world. The fact that you can be authentic and be you and, and share what's on your mind and feel safe and create, create a safe environment and be around and be the leader that is creating that safe environment is really powerful. I think it's time for leaders to just be human. And I think people are looking for it. Um, I think in more time than ever, we see more humans on screen with babies in their background and dogs barking and real life stuff. So there's more opportunity to see human beings than ever. And I think, um, yeah, the more we show up as human beings, the more people have the opportunity to do that too. So if people want to follow your human journey, yeah. How do they get a hold of you? How do they um, check out Guild? I've got a great way to do that. Um, I have a thing called the CHRO Compass, and you can reach that on LinkedIn. Um, so it is the Guild CHRO Compass. So I um, um, interact with that community on a regular basis. I've got a new story, an idea, or concept that I think is important, like why aren't there more CHROs on boards? or um, how do we address AI or different concepts that are important to me, first jobs, the importance of first jobs. And so we'll have a topic, I'll engage with the community, I'll report out on some of the things that people do, but that's the best way, and also through LinkedIn. Um, so I am engaged pretty actively on my LinkedIn feed. Well, thank you so much, Dean. I'll put those links in the show notes. Okay. And I appreciate you being so authentic. Well, Ben, thank you so much for this. Thanks for making space for it. And uh, this was a really um, great conversation. It's really just good to get to know you. And, uh, and I really appreciate the space for this. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Executive Podcast, where we explore what it truly means to be a leader. If you've taken one thing away, make sure to subscribe, share, and most importantly, leave a review. Thanks again, everyone. And see you next time.